Welcome back to Real Talk Torah, courtesy of the database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. I'm Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg, and you just entered the database. And for today's issue, as it is Yom HaShoah, I want to spend some time on the Holocaust and giving some Hashkafic Torah points on this particular event in history, but not doing it from my own voice and my own words. Um, that's something that most people um, could not really speak about and try to give an explanation of, of any sort of what exactly happens and why and how and what we're supposed to take away. But I did want to give it, I wanted to give it to you from the words of my grandfather, my grandpa David, David Svi ben Yosef Yochanan, Olav Hashem Zecher Tzadik Lavracha, because he was not only Zoha to survive the horrors of the Holocaust, but he was Zoha to also be able to raise a family to have descendants who are Shomer Tova Mitzvos, but also he was able to record his story um, back in 1994 for um, a documentary on the Holocaust. He was able to give his testimony, and in a really long video that I could not possibly share um, all at once with you on this podcast, I will um, put the link with the audio. So if you look at the description of the audio for this share, you will be able to find it. Um, but that said, I'm going to give you some bits from what he had spoken about and the, the, the hi- some of the highlights that spoke to me in terms of the Torah takeaway from his experience. But before we do that, I want to first acknowledge our sponsors. We have a sponsorship, Lili Nishmas, Shmuel Menachem ben Aryeh Leib, who himself was a Holocaust survivor and Leah Bas Avraham, their neshamas should have an aliyah. And we have second-time sponsorships from Yona and Kanye Laster. Thank you for, to our sponsors. Anyone else who wants to sponsor, just reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data, then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com. Now, in terms of the Holocaust testimonial video, I have to tell you that my, my grandfather's story is incredible. Um, he does get graphic. Um, there is, you know, emotion in the video. Um, I can go on and on about my grandfather in terms of his poise, his charisma, his courage, his incredible Ahavas Torah. There's so much to be said um, in, the, in terms of his story about his play-by-play of what, what, what it felt like when he was um, finding out about how his family was going to be brought to the ghetto, when he found out about um, his family dying in the gas chambers, and all the different aspects of the dangers, but also the salvations left and right, how Hashem was constantly protecting him all the times that his life was saved. There, There's so much, and I, I encourage you to watch the video yourself if you have some time, because um, you'll not only gain, you know, from the Hashkafic aspect, but um, in terms of the the frightening story that he experienced, the heartbreaking story that he experienced, but also um, the, the Yeshuos that he experienced, the, the incredible strength of his character and his, his, his uh, connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that, that, that gave him the strength to continue on and make it out to who he, to who he ultimately became. Um, we, we unfortunately lost him in 2016. He lived to be 87 years old. He was only 15 years old when he was taken into the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And 
Again, there's so much that there is to be said about what happens in the video. I just picked out highlights, and hopefully I'll be able to enjoy and gain from what he has to share. Obviously, there are so many worthy survivors who have worthy and incredible stories to share. And um, this is the, the bit from my family. Um, and um, as his grandson, I do feel responsibility, not just a personal bias and interest in what he has to say, though I can watch his video again and again and again. I've watched it um, you know, prob probably over 15, 20 times um, you know, in, the, in the past few years. But um, again, I wanted to just walk you through this personal bit. Um, it is, um, again, I believe my responsibility to share this on his behalf. So I'm just going to walk you a little bit through um, some of the highlights, at least that spoke to me. So again, this video finds us in 1994. He is 68, going on 69 years old. And he starts off with a statement. He asks to make a statement in the beginning, and here's what he had to say. I asked to make a brief statement at this time because I wanted to express in my own words what I'm, I'm uh, about to do and the reason why I'm doing it. I was only a 15-year-old boy when the Nazis put me on a train, freight train with my family and over a thousand other human beings, men, women, children, babies still in their mother's arms. And they shipped us off to Auschwitz to be disposed of as we were nothing more than some contaminated waste. By the grace of God and many faithful events that I'm going to speak about in detail during my testimony, I managed to survive the most brutal, the most cruel, the most inhumane treatment of human beings in the history of our planet. But I paid a very high and bitter price because over 90% of my family, my mother, my three little brothers, ages 13, 12, and 11, the 13-year-old was by mitzvah in the ghetto, my grandparents, both my paternal and maternal, my uncles, my aunts, my first cousins, second cousins, over a hundred innocent, beautiful human beings, men, women, and children, who never hurt anyone in their lives, or brutally murdered in cold blood by the Nazis during the Holocaust. May God avenge the blood. Amen. Today I'm going to participate in a program by the survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation created by the film director Steven Spielberg to get as many survivors together as they can to testify about their experiences in the Holocaust. Right, so at this point he's just introducing, obviously, whatever he's doing. for the first doing. time in over 50 years, I'll be speaking up. I'll be crying out for the whole world to hear and to know what the Nazis did to me and what I saw them do to others during the Holocaust. Oh, I tried to speak about my experiences before, but as soon as I got into details, it felt like I was going through the experience all over again, and I just couldn't go on. And who can blame me for that? But today, I have no choice. Today, I must, because time is running out. As the years go by, the number of us survivors still surviving and around are getting fewer and fewer. In a few more years, we may become an endangered species. 
while the anti-Semites, the revisionists, who tried to tell us there was no Holocaust. At worst, there was some cans that the Jews set out the war. Sure, people died there, but people died everywhere. They died in England. They died in France. Millions died in, in Russia. So sure, some people died in concentration camp. But all the stories that you hear are the exaggerations, nothing but Zionist propaganda to gain favor under the eyes of the world. Their numbers are growing yearly, and the voices are getting louder and louder. All you have to do is browse on the Internet, and you'll see what I mean. Right, and this is in 1994, just mind you. 30 years from now, who of us is going to be around to stand up to these animals and tell them, no, there was a Holocaust. I was there. I survived. And I'm here now to testify about it. Probably no one. Because I'm one of the youngest survivors, and I'll be 70 next year, God willing. But thanks to the Shoah Foundation, our voices, our faces, our stories will be recorded on tape forever. So a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, I'll be there to tell the world that yes, there was a Holocaust. And the stories that we hear, nothing is exaggerated. On the contrary, the true story cannot even be told. Because some of it is too cruel and too painful. Those pictures that you saw in the end of the war that the soldiers, everybody took of the thousands of dead bodies that had a resemblance of human beings, plus thousands more who looked just the same. The only difference is that they were still breathing, breathing and still had life in them. That's the only pictures they took. But how they got there, nobody has pictures. But I have the pictures in here. And today, thanks to what we're doing today, I'll share it with the whole world for generations to come. That we should always be vigilant. Zachor, always remember what happened. Never be complacent to say that it cannot happen here, because that's what he said in Germany. The only protection is by remembering what happened. The Altishkach, and never forget. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was just the beginning, and hopefully, maybe you feel motivated to watch the whole thing just from that. Um, again, the story is incredible, and there's so much more to be said. Um, I don't know if I mentioned yet that um, David Abrams, that's my maternal grandfather. Um, and again, so much to be said. But I wanted to focus on the, the Torah aspects. And I wanted to start from something that's pretty incredible, something that maybe in our generation it's unheard of. What I think is important for people to recognize was that my grandfather grew up as a pretty modern man. And despite all that, you'll see from what I'm about to show you how important his Torah was, and his, his Ahavas Torah, and his relationship with his Rebbe. Um, one of the most incredible moments, I think, of this particular video um, is when he shares on that topic. So I'm just going to play that for you. So here's how that sounded. Who was your rabbi? My, uh, well, I had many rabbis, but the one that, uh, when I was in the yeshiva, his name was Elisha Harovitz. He was with me in the concentration camp. Unfortunately, I saw him uh, pass away there. What was your relationship with your rabbi? Well, I'm glad you asked that because uh, a rabbi, if he told me I was closer than my father and I was 
There's nobody closer to me than my father, but my rabbi was equal to that. It's hard to express. It's like a real closeness that you have, that a son has with his father. Can imagine the closeness I had with the four daughters. You know, even today, uh, for people, men, religious men, favored boys, you can imagine what it was uh, 70 years ago. So I had a very, very close relationship with my father, but my rabbi was able to equal. Okay, so just um, that, that again, it's, it's in our generation, I, I think that's unheard of. Someone who was so close to their Rebbe that they can actually say that their relationship with their Rebbe was the same as with their father. And, I mean, th- th- this comes from a true devotion. It comes from forging a relationship like that, where you actually care. The Shemesh Talmidei Chachamim, which we don't, like, again, I don't think we have that in our generation. It's something that we lost um, something that we should yearn to have. This is one of the things that we spoke about in Perkeavos, the concept of Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim, where you want to be close to your Rebbe, to learn from him, to drink thirstily from his words. And that's something, again, that um, should really inspire all of us. Now, related to that, I wanted to also speak about my grandfather's Chinuch, because, again, my grandfather um, grew up modern family, modern man, um, and this is somehow he self-describes, um, I guess, a self-professed modern man. And look what he has to say about his father's decision in terms of yeshiva. It starts off with a casual conversation about what they wore at the time. So um, give, give this a listen. Did you wear a skull cap, a kippah? Certainly that, yes. Did you have payas? Yes, I had had payas. Because my father was modern. He was really very modern. He wore modern clothes. But what he did, he sent me to yeshivas, very, very, very religious. You know, you can compare him even higher than Williamsburg or Borough Park that's known here in Brooklyn. I once, I once asked him if he had a really modern, why did he send me to a religious school? He says, well, I figured if you let go of what you're learning, if I sent you to a modern school and you let go, you'll have nothing left. But if I send you to a very religious school and you let go, you still have something left. As a result, because I was there, I had very long curls, you know, curl pairs of little shoulder length. Did everyone... Yeah, so, and then they go on to talk about how everyone in the school had long pairs and so on and so forth. But, again, the could, could you imagine if my great-grandfather wanted my grandfather to be an incredible Talmud Chacham, right? The, the standard that they set was, I don't want him to let go of anything, and therefore he, I must put him in a very from high-level school so that he can have something if Chas Vashem one day he would leave it. And by the way, my grandfather ended up becoming a Baal Shuva, meaning there was a period of time where he walked away, and then there was a period of time where he came back. And the truth is, at, at age 15, he was on his way to becoming a rabbi. Given more time in yeshiva, if the Holocaust had not happened, probably would have received the smicha at, at around age 15, 16 years old. And this was coming from, we better keep him religious, or keep him, you know, to have something traditional. Imagine if, if, if the goal in the family was that, that this person should be the next Gadol Hador. And you know, we're talking about, um, for those who don't know, my grandfather was someone who was able to, you know, when he came back, by the time he came back, he was giving Sharon Dafiomi in Brooklyn. He was someone who was able to, to lane any parsha of the Torah. And even as a, as a Talmud in yeshiva, 
Um, he tells a story, I didn't give you the clip for this one, where um, his father found him in his sleep um, reciting a full daf of Gemara. So, and the, this way, and the goal was keep him religious. And if we could only, only imagine, and where are our standards? So this is just, you know, something to think about. And while we're talking about standards, I know we haven't really even gotten to the Holocaust yet, um, but there's, there, 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 there's so many incredible nuggets here. Um, but when we talk about our standards... I want to. I want you to hear my grandfather describe his relationship with pop culture um, of the times, um, considering where he was in yeshiva, considering um, where we are today. I I thought this was also really um, something that we all should be um, thinking about. Did you have any outside interest besides the Torah as a child? I never even, after the war, I never even went to a cinema because I was not permitted to go over his men and women together or it was considered a waste of time to do anything but spend your time on, on Torah and, and religious studies. And so you see this, so he, and he goes on to talk about how his sister's were allowed, you know, it was uh, the, for the girls, it was a little bit more liberal. They can go out and go to watch. For them, they call it the cinemas. I guess for us, what is movies? Um, men and women, they, you know, they, that wasn't something they did together, and it was considered a waste of time. You know, this reminds me of the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, um, in the first parak, where it talks about um, the amount of time that men spend speaking to women. Even your own wife, you shouldn't speak so much to, but certainly the wife of your friend. And the Mishnah goes on to say that the very least. Um, you know, if, if you're not doing inappropriate things there, but it's a bitul Torah. And this, um, you know, th- th- that was a way of life. It wasn't just, you know, a chumrah. It wasn't just, you know, the person's rabbi, you know, saying such a thing. This was, this was the, the, the way of life. Um, so, again, for us to think about how we spend our time, um, we could spend hours doing nothing um, of, of, of real meaning anyway. And so... Although I can again spend hours um, picking out bits, the truth is that it's only it's only the the video itself is only um, um, it's under three hours. But I could spend so much time picking out bits for you to hear about the incredible story. I will give you um, one piece of this story, which um, also again stuck out to me, um, which was when um, it was on Shabbos that. Uh, my grandfather's family were marched out of their house to go onto the trains to the concentration camps. And when you live a life of Yerash Shemayim and Avodah Hashem, this is something that you think about, um, where you know you don't know what's going to be with your life, you don't know what's going to be with your finances, your next meal, and and your and your future. But this is what my grandfather was thinking of at that moment. They came for us on Saturday morning, like they said they would, with some policemen with, with, with guns, with bayonets done. I don't know why they needed the bayonets done. And they came to get us, asked as we were ready, and everybody was ready. We had two bags, and we walked out of our house. The only thing I remember, which I'll never forget, but it bothered me that I walked out of the house with the two bags, and I looked up to the sky, and I asked forgiveness from God that I'm carrying on the Sabbath. That's what was bothering me, because you're not allowed to carry on the Sabbath. And then we went, out of everybody carrying their bags. But before we went to the ghetto, they assembled us in a big courtyard where everybody else was assembled. And in that courtyard were tables set up with inspectors 
and everybody had to open their valises. Okay, so we'll stop that there. But um, he goes on to continue the story. But again, um, he's he's thinking about, oh, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm kind of forced to violate Shabbos. And he's davening to Hashem, hoping for forgiveness, that Hashem can forgive him for carrying on Shabbos. Like... I don't like. I don't. I, I really don't have any any words other than just to repeat it, because it's it's so it's just it's awe inspiring. Um, you know when you know we, we would consider ourselves in such a circumstance in a halacha category that the Torah um, or at least the Gemara um, describes as onus rachmanapatre. You know there there are things that are beyond your control, and you know the the, the extent to which you need a Achieve kapara for that, but this is what was bothering uh, my grandfather at that time, who once again well, grew, grew up modern. You know, had a had, had a yeshiva background. Um, yes, he was in a high level yeshiva, but you know, this is this is what well, what he was thinking about. I have to say, before we go any further, you should recognize that my grandfather was such a personality. If you could if you could even imagine in this video, there are plenty of moments where he is able to. Smile, have humor. Maybe you could see the thumbnail of this um, of, of this particular recording. I use the picture of my grandfather. Well, one of, one of the moments where he's smiling. There are plenty of moments like that in the video, and you wouldn't know from the from the incredibly terrible, horrible story that he's sharing, um, where he was able to have humor. But this is one of the themes that he spoke about among the Torah hashkafa that that um, that emanates from his speech. And with with absolute eloquence was also the, this 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 charisma this this ability to laugh which which happened multiple times throughout and you know you'll be zocha to be able to see that if you just watch the entire video yourself but I want to continue talking about some of the hashkafic points or rather allowing him to talk about it and I want to do that by going to some of what I believe were his takeaway messages. So one of the early ones um, was, his, um, was his piece on Emuna and Bitachon and Hashem. So he, here's, here's what a Holocaust survivor in the moment was thinking about in terms of that. What did you believe to be going on around you? Well, I was... You have to be an idiot not to see that you're being slaughtered and being exterminated, and that they, all they want to do is is work you to death, starve you to death, and uh, one or the other, whatever comes first. It's obvious to all of us by this time. Our only hope was that the war can end any minute, any day, and every morning when I woke up, after thanking God that I woke up and survived, I prayed that this should be the last day and I knew eventually that the last day is going to come otherwise I could have never survived Were there any times that you lost your faith? Never never, not for one moment because I knew if I do that then I have no chance at all that's the only thing that kept me going only my faith because once you lose that, you have nothing. Then you might just as well go in front of the, go past the guard and, be sh- and let them shoot you in the back. Yes, yeah, so um, right there, he, um, you know, he says something that maybe that already sounds superhuman because 
even later in the video, and this part I will play for you, he does acknowledge that there were times where he asked the question. So, and then this is something that we can we can try to resolve. Um, he says he's asked he he did at some points during his experience he asked the question of where is God, and. I'm going to come back to that after I get to a different piece that he had to share. But something that I want you to think about is for my grandfather, who is now saying at the point that you just listened to, that he just said that he never lost his faith, and had he, he would not have been able to go on. So, you know, the fact that just the Muna Bittachon gave him the strength to keep going. But um, for someone who can say that he never lost faith even for a moment, he is also able to say that he asked the question of where God was. So... Maybe when uh, when we play that part, we'll come back to that question because that is something that, again, despite saying that, that despite saying that he never lost his faith for a moment, he does um, admit later that he had the question. So we'll come back to that. But first, I want to fast forward a little bit to a different piece um, where um, he was asked to share a message to his family and anyone who was listening. The interviewer says, "Is there anything that you want to share with your family?" And he says, "Yes." And here's what followed. All the things that I learned about life from my experience will most likely fill the pages of a decent sized book. This is true. But I'm only going to mention two things, two qualities of life. One that sustained me during my experience in the concentration camp, and the other that sustained me the years from 45 to 1949 that I got to the United States and continued on to this day to sustain me. Again, so he's taking, he's saying what well, what kept me going then and what kept me going after the Holocaust, in case that wasn't clear. The first one is hope. Never, never give up hope, no matter how bad things are. If it rains for 40 days, the sunshine will come eventually and, and things get better. Because believe me, it doesn't get any worse than in a concentration camp. But uh, 50% of my survival, I'm, I am sure, and I'm certain it was only because I never gave up hope. I saw with my own eyes what happens to people when they give up hope. They become depressed. They don't eat even the little rations that they got, and they never survived. So never give up hope, no matter how bad things are. The second thing is very interesting, which I call is gratitude. But this is a very interesting quality because not only is it necessary to be happy, but if you have this quality of being grateful, you're guaranteed happiness. It, just comes, it comes together. Just like somebody, no matter how rich you are, how wealthy you are, if you don't know how to be grateful to, to be, you know anything but gratitude, you'll never be happy. Perfect example, a few years ago, I read in the, some years ago when there was a rash of teenage suicides, I read in the newspaper, that a young, rich boy Again, this is 1994. High school was promised by his father a brand new car if he graduates and does well. The kid worked hard, very wealthy, and did very well, and graduated, and his father presented him with a brand new Cadillac. But he had his mind set on a expensive sports car, Porsche, I don't even know the names. He became so depressed that he didn't get what he wanted. They started drinking and took a ride with this Cadillac while under the influence and eventually got killed. But it was never established whether it was a suicide or an accident, but it doesn't matter whether it was a suicide or an accident. 
he died because he didn't know about gratitude. He wasn't grateful. He got a brand new Cadillac for a high school kid, a graduate. He wanted a sports car and he became depressed and started to drink and lost his life. Now there isn't a person in the world, no matter how bad off you are, that you don't have something to be grateful for. Look at me. 1947, I was on my way to DP camps, no family, no trade, no, 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 no way to, no, no, I don't know where my next meal is coming from, but I was grateful. What was I grateful for? I was alive. I was given another chance, and I knew that God willed that I should live. He had some good things in store for me, and the sure, good things sure came. I explained to you, I told you before all the good things that happened to me to this day. So the trick is, without gratitude, it's impossible to be happy. With gratitude, you cannot help be happy. You have to be happy. Okay, so there, so there among you know my grandfather's own takeaways, you know, these were the things that he said were his takeaways. Um, having hope and having gratitude. Hope will keep you, will, you know, will get you through the dark times and gratitude will get you through all the rest. And, you know, uh, once again, you know, this is uh, something that, th- these are just life lessons. Someone who is experiencing the Holocaust, what he has to say. Now, I wanted to bring it back to that very important question of where was God? Because this is a question that he not only addresses head on, but he will do it in a, you know, like, like, a, like a good Jew. He's going to answer the question with a question. And this next question is going to be so poignant. It's going to be very important for us to understand why we need to not only learn the history, but also learn the lessons of it, especially when in times like this with, uh, you know, the, the, the Uyghurs in uh, China who are experiencing a new Holocaust and makes you wonder where our elected officials and administrations are and what they have to say on the matter, which I guess is a separate but related topic. But I wanted to go to um, the um, part of my grandfather's words where he addresses that question, that question of, of doubt in, you know, in these circumstances. Anyone who's experiencing trying times and where even, you know, even a man of faith um, wanted to confront these questions. Now we have a few more minutes. I would like to take this opportunity to answer the question that was asked by almost everyone at one time or another, including myself. Where was God during the Holocaust? My answer is God was where he always was where he always is and always will be. He's everywhere. He is every place. He was in the concentration camps, and I have proof that he was there with me. He's in every person. The only person he is not in, and he's not where he is totally rejected. Every baby is first conceived. God takes over the embryo and watches it to grow, that everything should go all right. Once in a while things go wrong, not because God isn't perfect, because he's trying to teach us that no man should think that anybody can be perfect, because even he makes mistakes once in a while. But he's inside every human being for the rest of his life, unless he's rejected. Then he leaves him. If you reject God, he leaves you. Look what happens as watch. God gave a beautiful gift to human, 
human being. Because otherwise, they're to distinguish them from the animal. The animal eats, sleeps, works, procreates, and does everything, everything we do. So what's the difference? So God gave the human being the gift of speech and knowledge that the animal doesn't have. This is what distinguishes from the animals. If you remember your Bible, in the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve first ate from the apple, from the tree, from the fruit of knowledge, what's the first thing that happened? They looked at each other and they noticed they were naked. Before they never noticed, now they became knowledgeable. They noticed. So what did they do? They took some leaves and they made themselves clothes. At the end of the chapter it says that God made them leather shirts. Shirts made on a leather and dressed them. But what happens when you reject God, you reject this beautiful gift he gave you. Just like an engaged couple and they break up and they reject each other, the diamond ring has to go and the girl refuses. The boy has the right to demand it and take him to court to get it back. So when you reject God, you're giving him back the gift that he gave you, the gift of... Of course, you don't become mute that you can't speak, but, but, uh, but morally, you give him back the gift of speech, the gift of knowledge, and what happens? You revert to an animal. All of a sudden, you don't need any clothes anymore. You walk around half naked in the beaches and the dance halls and the bars, totally naked. You don't need clothes. You're an animal. And I don't have to tell you what a man does when he becomes an animal, because we saw that very well. He's even worse than an animal, because animals don't do what man can do when they reject God. So my message is that God is everywhere. And now that we know where God is, my question to you is, where was man? Where was man when this happened? Where was President Roosevelt, the man, when he turned back a boat for the people to certain death wouldn't let him in? Where was when the first half of Germany went crazy on Kristallnacht to break windows and break stores and arrest Jewish people and murder? Where was the other half? Where was all the countries in Poland, Hungary? Where were all the people? Where were they? That's the question. Well, can be what was done cannot be done. The only thing we can do is protect ourselves to make sure that it never happens again by remembering Zachor. Always remember what happened. Never forget. Al Tishkoch will never forget. Thank you. And with that, I, I thank you for joining us here at the database. Looking forward to seeing you or for speaking with you next time.